You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 28. And this morning, we're reading together verses 7 through 10. You'll find this in the Pew Bible on page 937. We're looking at Acts chapter 28 and verses 7 through 10. Hear the word of God. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. You know, one of the most important and comforting doctrines of our faith is simply this. God, by his overruling providence, orders all things for the benefit of his people. God, by his overruling providence, orders all things for the benefit of his people. And oftentimes, the good and or evil done to saints is recompensed accordingly. On the one hand, those kindnesses done to believers are oftentimes rewarded. The Hebrew midwives, for example, disobeyed Pharaoh's command to kill the boys, and they were given families. The Shunammite welcomed Elisha the prophet into her home, and she was given an only son. The prostitute Rahab hid the spies and was saved from the destruction of Jericho. On the other hand, the injuries done to the saints have often been repaid in kind. The Pharaoh tried to kill those Hebrew boys, and all the firstborn of Egypt were slain. Haman erected a 50-foot gallows to kill Mordecai the Jew, and he himself was hanged on it. Ahithophel plotted against David, and his own counsel led to his ruin. Solomon tells us, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. And of course, you and I both know that there's not a one-to-one correspondence between all of these things. Oftentimes, the wicked prosper. Oftentimes, the saints are called to endure suffering. But the providence of God is such that many times we see this at work. I like that saying of Augustine. It goes like this, if no sin were punished here, no providence would be believed. And if every sin should be punished here, no judgment would be expected. And that's what we see. 
Our God is jealous for the sheep of his pasture, even the apple of his eye. And he loves his people with an everlasting love. The spiritual seed of Abraham. And he told Abraham, and in him he tells us, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And on behalf of Abram and his seed, God is both offensive and defensive in his care. He's a friend to Abram's friends. A kindness to them he sees as a kindness done to him. Even a cup of cold water shall not lose its reward, we're told. God loves his sheep. He is opposed to Abram's enemies. They who curse Abram, God will curse. And I believe we see this important covenant principle at work in Paul's ministry at Malta. Luke, the physician, makes mention of Publius, who he says is the chief man of the island. And I think this is most likely an official designation having to do with some official rank. He was probably the highest official or even the governor of the island. And he received Paul's little company and welcomed them into his house. And likely Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and the Roman centurion Julius lodged with Publius. And for three days he entertained them hospitably and treated them well. And such a warm welcome included comfortable quarters, you can imagine, ample provision, and he did this both kindly and warmly and, without, and with courtesy. It was a very generous thing for him to do. And while Paul and his companions were there, the apostle learned about Publius's father. And this poor man, plagued with fever and dysentery, was completely bedridden. Uh, theologians and even doctors, I'm told, have thought that this was Malta fever, which is caused by a microbe in goat's milk. Terrible affliction, very debilitating, extremely difficult to cure. And when Paul met with him, he prayed as he laid his hands on him and the man was healed. Presumably instantaneously. It was a miraculous remedy and it was only beginning of the miracles. As news spread, you can imagine everyone with diseases came and were told that they were cured. How gracious was the Lord in extending mercy to these Maltese pagans. And in all of these details, we should recognize that providence had its design. The shipwreck, the viper bite, the official hospitality, all were circumstances for advancing the gospel. Because God appoints the means of salvation, and his providence brings about the circumstances for those means to be used. Isn't that what we're taught in Romans 8.28? For those who love God, all things work together for good, and for those who are called according to his purpose. So he appointed the means, and he ordains the circumstances intertwined for our good. And Paul's lodging in the governor's house provided an opportunity for this healing miracle. The miracle opened the door for Paul in his prayer to call upon the name of Jesus because there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. 
Healing miracles were simply signs of the wholesomeness of God's kingdom. And when his kingdom comes in its fullness, and it's going to come, there's going to be no sickness and no disease. We're told by John in his book that God will wipe away every tear. No longer will there be any death, mourning, crying, or pain. And part of the design for miraculous healings is to demonstrate that truth. That's the kind of kingdom he brings. The powers of God's eschatological kingdom, his end-time kingdom, reach back into history. And it's a foretaste of the full and final reversal of the curse. Isn't that what Paul told the Corinthians when he said the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power? Power to heal, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, and to make all things well. And I think the ensuing generosity of those islanders was an expression of sincere gratitude for the kingdom. Because I think it's impossible to think that only miracles were performed and no gospel was preached. One commentator put it this way. What happened as a result of the shipwreck was that the gospel with its great seal of miracles was spread through the island. Indeed, it was by, in the Lord's name and by the Lord's authority that healing virtue flowed. Everyone learned to whom Paul was praying when the father of Publius was healed. The apostle and his Christian companions stayed on the island for three months. And here you have a missionary like Paul in whose veins ran gospel blood evangelizing. I'm sure he became all things to all men that by all means he might save some. Because a man like that doesn't pass up an opportunity to evangelize sinners. And here were these superstitious pagans in desperate need of salvation. Paul describes them as he describes all those outside of Christ as being separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But you see, by common grace, they were enabled to extend hospitality to the saints. And who can doubt that the Christians shared Christ with those natives? As a matter of fact, as an aside, tradition tells us that Publius was converted and became the first bishop of Malta. I'm convinced that these Maltese natives heard the gospel of Christ and many of them responded. And there's no doubt in my mind that Paul not only prayed in Jesus' name, but preached Christ crucified. The apostle would die before failing or refusing to acknowledge Christ. And it was his settled determination to know nothing but Christ crucified, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. And I don't think anybody here would ever think that Paul wanted to hoard those infinite treasures for himself. He must have ascribed the praise of all those healings to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we find then the Christ the King exercising regal power and blessing the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul was just a herald. He was a messenger, an ambassador doing the will of his sovereign. 
He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. This kingdom of Christ was steadily advancing across the ancient world. And our king was at work. He was at work liberating the devil's captives all along the way. And at the same time, through the healings, he confirmed the truth of the gospel and the authority of Paul. So these Maltese people had no idea what had come to them. But they honored them greatly. And I don't know what that means, but it must include at least the respect and the gratitude expressed to them. Throughout those three months, the Maltese people showed many marks of respect and affection to the Christians. And through the gospel ministry, God healed their bodies and restored their souls. Luke then tells us explicitly at the end that they provided whatever we needed. Ample provision for the trip. And you see how the gospel makes a difference. It was having a profound effect on these natives. They equipped them with supplies. They loaded the ship with abundant provision. And what a wonderful expression of gratitude it was. And reading between the lines, they realized their need for a Savior. They had put their trust in Christ. And they had received eternal life. You know, the material comforts of this world and that island had become relatively insignificant to them. They were important for sustaining the body, of course, but they can't nourish the soul, and they figured that out. And the things of God and the things of eternity had become for them all important. Willingly and freely, they gave of their substance as expressions of deep gratitude for what they had received in the gospel. And the initial kindness done to those Christians, God rewarded through the gospel. Publius received Paul and his company. God healed his father, many others, and they're thankful. Isn't this what takes place in every convert who sincerely trusts in Christ? We're going to sing a song momentarily that goes like this, at least one part of it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think that's what our Lord is getting at when he said this to the Greeks. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This life. It consists of all the riches and the honors and the pleasures and the preferments of the world. He who loves this life more than Christ will lose it, forfeit it, surrender it. But he who prefers God's favor more than this life, his own life, will end up keeping it. It's a paradox. And not only so, but we're told that he'll inherit the unimaginable blessing of eternal life. And in the resurrection of the righteous, the Bible teaches that he or she will shine like the sun in the kingdom of God. So as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, as they did in Malta, the things of this earth grow strangely dim. 
I want us first to recognize here that the Bible's perspective on men and women is very different from that of the world, isn't it? One commentator notes how differently the world assigns importance to people. Do you know that outside of the Bible, history tells us nothing about the governor Publius? Nothing. The Roman historians were more interested in the Neros and the Pilots and the Felixes and the Agrippas. But this obscure governor on this little island of Malta is now known throughout the world. Proverbs 10 says, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. A believer's memory is a blessing to his family, to his church, to his community, a godly parent, a faithful church officer, a public benefactor, a wise teacher. In fact, blessed is the memory of any self-denying, Christ-honoring Christian. No such blessing attends the memory of the wicked. His name rots. The memory of Publius is a blessing, and I look forward to talking to him someday. One reason why is that he treated well the Apostle Paul and his fellow Christians, the sect that was everywhere spoken against, had come to this little island. And thus providence ordered it that Publius encountered the kingdom of God. Worldly historians would have found nothing worthy of note in any of this. There were no military exploits, no political revolutions, no public scandals to speak of. But here we have Governor Publius extending kindness and hospitality to Christians and their companions. (laughs) And as a result, his father is healed. Publius himself likely becomes a Christian. And so in a sense, I can say providing clothing and provisions, he did so in exchange for everlasting life. Now, you know what I mean by that. We both know that eternal life is received as a gift through Christ. But here the Lord was working and rewarding what his grace enabled him to do. And Publius and most likely many of his citizens were brought into the kingdom. In fact, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Isn't it wonderful how the Lord ordained and orchestrated their salvation? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's sovereign. And he's the one who said, a cup of cold water will not lose its reward. And he blessed the Maltese natives. God saw to it that Publius has a lasting memorial for his care for the saints. So I draw from that this, that whatever you do for the benefit of the saints in the name of Christ will be remembered. He or she, we're told in Psalm 112, that will be remembered forever. I wonder how many moms and dads and single people get discouraged by the daily grind. Perhaps you think that the contributions you make to the kingdom are so small, they're relatively insignificant. 
You work long hours, perhaps you make many meals, you change diapers, you clean house, you pay the bills over and over and over again. And nobody outside your workplace or your home seems to notice. Lots of duties, little recognition. But rest assured, the Lord knows every single thing you do for others. In fact, anyone who extends kindnesses to the saints will be blessed and remembered forever. Not even a cup of cold water will go unnoticed or lose its reward. (laughs) So take heart, Christians, and do not grow weary in doing good. But then let us also remember that hospitality is an important part of loving our neighbor. I think these Maltese people set a good example of plain human generosity, didn't they? We're taught in Hebrews 13 this. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why, apostle? For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And you you and I both know that life is made up largely by small, ordinary things. Experience is comprised of the daily duties, the weekly rhythms, the monthly rotations, and in the midst of all of that, God gives us opportunities to sweeten the lives of others. A helpful hand, a delicious meal, an encouraging word, all in the name of Christ. In all sorts of common ways, we can be hospitable to our brethren and our neighbors. And in so doing, what we do is enrich the lives of others and receive the blessing ourselves. Hospitality. It's something that God expects of his people whom he's blessed. And it's not just serving dinner in your home, although that's important. But it's having a truly hospitable disposition. Welcoming a visitor at church. That's hospitality. Encouraging the cashier at the grocery store. Helping a young child. Being friendly to a stranger who seems lost or uncomfortable. Hospitality can be expressed in many different ways and it flows from a generous spirit. And as we abide in Christ, his gracious and generous spirit abides in us. And one of the evidences of that is hospitality. Thirdly, let's rejoice in the kingdom of God, which continues to advance in our day. Earlier, Reverend Pilon read a portion of Luke's gospel of Christ's mission to Israel. He sent out 70 disciples to preach the gospel and to work miracles in preparation for him to visit. They went two by two into every town and place where he planned to go, and they cured diseases in Christ's name to announce the day of their visitation. And this is what he said to them. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. As on Malta, so in those towns, the miracles were demonstrations of power. Exhibitions of what kind of kingdom Christ established. The shalom that the Old Testament always anticipated. Wholeness, peace, joy. 
And in the ministry of Jesus and his ambassadors, that kingdom was offered to sinners. And it's an absolutely amazing example of God's grace. In Christ, he offers to anyone who will accept the terms life in his kingdom. But then Jesus went on to say this. If a town rejected it, shake off the dust from your feet. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. You hear that? Our Lord says it will be more tolerable on the last day for Sodom. Those who reject the message of the kingdom will bear a far more severe penalty than Sodom. Great will be the guilt of Chorazin and Bethsaida, cities where Jesus preached and healed. Those people heard Christ's teaching and they saw his power at work, and yet they refused to repent. And our Lord makes this particularly sobering declaration, or at least it should be sobering. When God's kingdom draws near, it's the opportunity of a lifetime. And with such an incredible opportunity comes tremendous responsibility. That's why it's important to recognize the opportunity and to take advantage of it. My dear friends, do you recognize on this very day that you have the opportunity? We shouldn't expect to see miracles, but we should realize the kingdom is near. It continues to advance in the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments right here. And we're told, we're taught that the Holy Spirit uses these things to regenerate Sinners. And thus, through his church, King Jesus continues to gather people out of the world. And his declaration tells us something that's very important that we're oftentimes willing to forget. That on that last day, God will judge people on the basis of the light they've been given. Those given less light will receive a lighter penalty. Those given more light will receive a heavier penalty. Many of those who heard Jesus preach and saw his miracles remained unconverted. And many today hear the word preached and see the sacrament administered and they remain unbelieving. And God has called them over and over again. And they refuse to believe. They have no interest in Christ, no interest in his cross, no interest in salvation. They're unmoved, and as the Bible says, stiff-necked, unbending. And I hate to say it, but on the last day, their guilt will match that of Chorazin and Bethsaida. I think we should lay this to heart and beware of the fatal sin of unbelief. We can't change the heart. I can't. You can't. But we can ask God to change the heart by his spirit. You can ask God to change your heart. Because let's never forget that where there, while there's one way to heaven, there are many ways to hell. Those who receive and rest upon Christ will be in heaven. Thank God for that. 
Those who don't will wind up in hell. Some will reach hell by brazen unbelief and flagrant sin. They have no shame. Others will reach hell because of pride, presumption, or hypocrisy. Still others who know the truth, who are given the opportunity, will reach hell by doing nothing. Many ways to hell. They simply neglect so great a salvation and drift with the current of unbelief. And according to Jesus Christ, they are not just pitiful victims. They're guilty rebels. Those who are cold, careless, and indifferent to the gospel need to wake up. You know, I checked the world death clock. There is such a thing. The world death clock. It estimates that in the last hour since we've been here, roughly 6,400 people have died. God has given us that time and this opportunity to prepare for eternity. The kingdom of God is drawn near to every person in this church. Let's not allow the opportunity to pass. Let's ask the Lord to forgive and accept us through Jesus Christ. And finally and quickly, let's remember that all those who enter the kingdom will live forever. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's the good news that Jesus came to reveal to a world lost in sin. People loved by God the Father and redeemed by God the Son and regenerated by God the Holy Spirit. What a marvelous thing it is. And then forever and ever, we who are saved will enjoy the blessed inheritance in heaven. So I quote the Apostle Paul in closing by saying, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We see the evidence of it at work in the lives of those Maltese natives. We're thankful that in those demonstrations of power or in the preaching of the word, the kingdom draws near. And we pray that all within the hearing of my voice will respond in faith and receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.